4, if you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, Acts chapter 4. I was getting out of the car this morning and my wife was telling the kids, they said, you know, Dad's preaching this morning at uh, Redeemer Prez. And one of my sons says, well, Dad, you know, you're going to need to be funny because their pastor's really funny and they're used to that. So the the pressure is on. But uh, we have enjoyed our time here and uh, enjoy Pastor Carlos and... uh, enjoy his heart. I I think that you know it, but you are blessed to have him as a minister and uh, just a gracious man. Before I get into my text this morning, I think it would be helpful for for me to just share a little bit about my own life, not because there's much benefit in that, but I think it would help you understand that I'm preaching to myself this morning. Um, I was raised in a pastor's home, uh, raised in Georgia, uh, raised in Christian school, K-5 through 12th. Um, went to a Christian college, got saved, uh, got a degree in ministry, uh, went to seminary. Uh, After seminary, I pastored for about 13 years. Uh, So much of my life was in Christianity. Uh, I felt very comfortable in the church. uh, And just through some strange events, through God's providence, God allowed me to get a commission in the Navy, and I've been a chaplain for about three years. And so at at age about 36, I would say, in many ways, it was the first time that I was in the world. Um, and it was very clear very quickly that I was no longer in the church. Um, and so as we look at this subject matter this morning, uh, I want you to know that it's in many ways very dear to my own heart. If you have a copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. And I'm going to read the text for us this morning, beginning in verse number 1 of Acts 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And on the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you And to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, they were common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak 
no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak on what we have seen and heard. And then, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened for the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And thus ends a reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask God's blessing this morning on the public reading and explanation of scripture. Dear most gracious heavenly father, we are thankful and grateful for your word. Father, we are thankful for what it does in our life. We ask that as we come to it once again, that your will would be done and the Spirit of God would work in our hearts and our lives and that we would be changed. And we ask these things in the strong name of Christ. Amen. The Acts of the Apostles, of course, is a historical record of the early church. You know that Christ has ascended. The disciples are there in the room in Jerusalem. They feel the Uh, anxiety and the worry of exactly what is going on. This individual that they have given their life to and have abandoned all to follow has now left them. Acts chapter 2, we see that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, it comes upon Peter and the Apostle Peter, he preaches this message at Pentecost and 3,000 people get saved. You transition into Acts chapter 3, and the Bible tells us that Peter and John, they are walking through there at Solomon's portico. They heal this man. This man asks them for silver and gold, and they say, silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the Bible tells us that this miracle, it it, it becomes kind of a, a platform, and it gives them a foundation in order to proclaim the gospel to the masses. You come into Acts chapter 3, In Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches his second sermon. He so eloquently proclaims the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He emphasizes again that Jesus that you killed, he was the Son of God. He was the one that all of the Old Testament prophets spoke to and directed, all of the covenants pointed to. And he says that their only reasonable response was to repent and believe and to embrace the gospel as you come to acts chapter 4 and you transition into that chapter it is the religious leaders response to the gospel it is the religious leaders response to everything that has happened the apostles are on the way of turning the world upside down for the gospel and this is the consequences and their response to things that have happened In verses 1 through 4, the Bible tells us that Peter and John, they have been arrested. There is an uproar. There is an uproar in all that this is being caused. It says that the priests, possibly the chief priests, the Sadducees, um, the captain of the temple, the guard, they seized them. And it says in verse 2, if you have God's word, that they were specifically alarmed by the fact that they claimed that Christ was been raised from the dead. This, of course, would have brought all kind of tension. It would have validated the Pharisees' view on this, and of course, it would have been a rebuke to the Sadducees. It would have been a, of course, cause a tension there. The Bible tells us in verse number four that as it happens, 5,000 people were converted. As you continue to read through this chapter, you come to verses five through 12, and it says the next day, they were brought before the Sanhedrin and this kind of trial begins. 
you have all of these kind of key figures once again. You have Ananias, he is the senior ex-high priest. He's the son-in-law of Caiaphas. He was there. Um, and as they begin to look at these men, they say these, these men obviously have power to them. They perform this miracle. They've done these certain things. And they ask him, by what power? What power were you able to accomplish these deeds? And the Bible tells us that in verse number 7, Peter states that it is in the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified. It is by Him and it is by His power that we stand here today and boldly proclaim the gospel. And in verse 12, he says, And there is salvation in no one else. There is no, under, no other name under heaven given among men that man must be saved. And Peter so so eloquently proclaims the exclusivity of Christ, that Christ is the only way to God the Father. As you come into 13 through 22, it gives us the specific consequences of these events. It was clear that they knew that these men had power, but they did not know what to do with these men. And in verse 13, it says that they were astonished at their courage. They were astonished at their courage because it says that these men, they knew these men to be unschooled. It actually means to be illiterate or to be average. No one likes to be told they're average, right? They, they look at these men and they say, they have, no, they have no religious pedigree, or excuse me, no educational pedigree. We look at them, there's, there's no letters behind their name. There's nothing specifically noteworthy about these men. As we look at them, they, they look like just common people blue-collar kind of people. Nothing about them that were astonishing. Nothing about them that were uh, groundbreaking. And it says they had ordinary knowledge, and, but they're doing amazing things. And you, you can almost, as you're reading the text with the religious leaders, you, you can begin to see their, their minds begin to roll. This is deja vu, right? Didn't we just have this problem? Didn't we just have someone in front of us that we looked at him and we said, who is this individual? Who is this man? This man, he's speaking with such power. He has no education. He's from a place that nothing good comes from. And he speaks with such power. Didn't we just get rid of this problem? I, I thought we handled this problem on the cross. And then all of a sudden, this problem is now reoccurring for us once again. We're in the same lot that we were just in. And the Bible tells us that in verse 15, they order Peter and John, they order them to leave the Sanhedrin. And the Jewish leaders begin to ex discuss exactly what should we do with these men? Same dilemma as Christ. Performing miracles, the masses like them, the crowds like them. They knew if they do something to them, the crowds would be at, uh, angry with them. Early ministry of Jesus Christ. The same problem that they already have. And so they come to them and they command them and they say, Okay, listen, we command you to not preach the message of the gospel. You can go, you can go free, you can go out of here, but the only thing that we ask you is that you do not continue to proclaim the death and the burial and the resurrection and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. And I love how the Bible makes things so easy for us. In verse 18, 
the Bible just in in few short words gives us just kind of a a a Christian ethics on how to respond to the government when they ask us to be they disobey God and they said you know we will allow you to judge but we would rather obey God than man that would be our desire well as we come to the text this morning I want to specifically focus this morning on verse 13 and this idea it says that one thing that they noticed about these men is that these men had courage and boldness. Boldness is a thought that goes throughout the Acts of the Apostle. It's, it's a theme, it's a word, it's a verb that you, you continually come back to. In the book of Acts, the word courage, boldness, some form of it appears about 12 times in the book of Acts. And each time that you find it, it is used specifically and directly connected with the gospel with the proclamation of the gospel, that the apostles, the disciples, that they boldly proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that they boldly proclaim the exclusivity of Christ, that Christ was the only way to the Father. When you look at the different ways in which it is used, the, the boldness that these men had in the early church, it was that they would use every opportunity to speak the gospel into a situation. Um, even before when they were tried, um, it wasn't their desire to simply get off the hook. They were not simply just sitting there saying, okay, how can I get out of this mess, this situation? No, they said, I, we must proclaim the gospel. They realized that the gospel was the only answer to life's problems. They realized that the gospel was man's remedy. It was the answer to every situation and every dilemma and every struggle. And so they boldly proclaimed it. The growth of the gospel or the growth in boldness is a central, uh, central component in the book of Acts as well. As the community grew, they grew in the Word of God and they grew in their boldness to speak the Word of God. It begins with boldness as Christ's followers. You know, as we think about boldness in proclaiming the gospel and as we think about boldness in evangelism, um, boldness, it must be clear that it is, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, it is... It is God's work in our lives. We, we do not come hardwired for boldness in this life. I don't believe that. I do believe that there are some dispositions, uh, some people that have those qualities more than others. But I, I think for most of us Christians, we do not come in this life hardwired for boldness. It, it is something that we must be constantly in prayer for. For starters, these men, they did not have boldness to, up to this point. I mean, you take Peter. I, I mean, just a few short, short days ago, Peter is being scared by some slave girl. I mean, a slave girl said, boo, and Peter is running for the hills, right? So Peter did not have boldness up to this point. And now all of a sudden, this man is, is standing before the masses, and he is proclaiming the gospel. As you transition into the, the other section into Acts, it says it's something that they were praying for. In verse 31 it says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. 
boldness it is a gift of the spirit it is the the it is a a a sign that the work of of god's spirit is being sealed that that, that it is it's not a natural disposition uh, uh, to be bold in the word of god is not something naturally we desire to do to be bold in the word of god is to realize that god is everywhere and that his word of god must be spoken into every situation that there is no situation that the wisdom of God should not be directed at. Boldness has no understanding of a private faith. I was talking to someone recently on the base, and uh, I'm from Georgia. I, I love the South. I'm, a, I'm a kind of a deep Southern kind of guy. If that's not you, I won't hold it against you. Um, I'm one of the, kind of those guys, you know, if. If sweet tea is not served there, this is not a place you want to raise your kids. That, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that's a good general rule. And um, I was talking to a recently a person, and this is by no means to say that the South is better than uh, the North because the South has many, many problems. But I was talking to a person from the North recently on base, and we were, we were discussing life and some of the distinctions, and it was just kind of a funny conversation. Um, and he was talking, and we began to talk about faith. And he says, you know, in the North, our faith is very private compared to you Southerners. Uh, he says, in, in the South, you, you, you wear your faith on your sleeve and you're, you're very loud and you're, you're very outgoing about it. But, but in the North, we're, we're very private. And, and I'm not in any way saying that uh, in much of the South that the faith, I believe, is probably hypocritically loud. Um, but the Bible has no, no sense of, of private faith. Um, the apostles were not private in their faith. Um, this is who they were. This is what they believe. This is what they desire to proclaim. Boldness was not some trick that they, they worked up to. Boldner, boldness was a signature that, that Christ was, was active and that he was present in their life. Boldness was not some sign that you know, you're, you're beginning to talk louder and you're raising your, your arms and you're yelling. No, I don't think that's what it was. it was. It was Christ working and God gave them the ability to speak clearly, articulately the gospel into people's lives. Philippians 1.20, it says this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, that by with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Christ had told them when they had went out to not fear what man could do to them. Fear is, is, is always the kryptonite uh, to boldness. Fear and evangelism, they never go together. Um, we come into this life necessarily, we're fearful people, aren't we? Um, we're fearful. We, we desire man's approval. Uh, death brings it, the Bible tells us that death brings man into bondage. And, and that means many different things, but one thing that it means is that death brings all of us in a desire for, for constant self-preservation. We, we live in that constantly. Um, God came to Adam and Eve and he says, from dust you came and dust you shall return. He says that as much as you struggle for self-preservation, you will eventually die and I will eventually die. If you celebrate Lent, you were reminded of that this week, uh, that of our mortality, that we will all eventually die, um, that, that all of us will not preserve ourselves. But there's something about us that, that we just desire to be preserved. 
We, we, we desire to have our lives preserved and our well-being preserved and our financial stability preserved and our, our relationships preserved. We seek this. John Bunyan, he says that we, we have a fear of a man with inside of us. And he says, quote, It is the fear of losing man's favor, love, goodwill, help, and friendship. Simply put, Bunyan says that we all come into this life with a, a love of approval. We have a default setting in our, in our makeup in which we, we love the approval of man. You know, when we, we ask ourselves the question, why aren't we more bold in the settings in which God has given us for evangelism? Why aren't we like the disciples? What is it that we fear? What is it that we're, we're leery about? I was recently talking in, in the Navy. You, you, get, you do a lot of counseling and you pray at a lot of ceremonies. And you that are in the Navy, you know, the Navy would celebrate Tuesday if it could. I mean, everything has a, everything has a ceremony and you, you get used to praying. And I was going to pray at this ceremony recently and, and usually I don't know the person. Uh, but for whatever reason, some things happen. And so I, I met with this person and I would say that this person is a, is a very... Hi, he had some rank on the individual. He was a gracious man, a kind man, um, and but I would say he had a, uh, I, I would not say that probably he was a man of faith. And as we began to talk, um, we just began to discuss certain things. Um, and I came to him and I said, well, I know I'm, I'm doing your prayer for your, your, your retirement. And is there anything specifically that you would like for me to pray? Um, and he says, well, you know, chaps, I, I would ask that you know, you would just not pray in the name of Christ. He says, you know, I, I would prefer that would not happen. Um, I have somebody in the audience that would be uh, Jewish, and, and I know that that would offend them, um, and I ask that you would not do that. Um, and, 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 and right away, you're, you're in this conversation, and it's, it's quite awkward. It's quite uncomfortable. Uh, and, and, and you're just in this situation, and, 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 and it, you, you were not prepared for it. Uh, there was no verse that got you up to that. You, you weren't thinking that, that you were going to be in that situation. And, and, I, and I said to him, well, I, sir, I, I, I appreciate your concerns. I said, but I, I just have to tell you from, from my perspective, I, I said, I'm a Christian. And I said, when, when I pray, I said, that's who I'm praying to. And I said, I, I don't want to go into a setting where I feel any kind of being in bondage or those kind of things. And so when I pray, it, it's going to come out either in Christ's name or in his son's name or something like that. And, and so if you, you do not like that, I'd be glad to find you another chaplain. No, no worries. And I, I, I passed the test. And um, that was good. And he says, okay, chaps, I, I get it. You're fine. But it didn't end there. Uh, it, it just kept going. And he says, you know, chaps, I, I just can't understand. He says, I went to a church one time. And he says, I just can't understand um, that there are people that would believe that the only way to heaven is through Christ. And if you didn't embrace Christ, you would, you would go to hell. Um, now, if you're a Christian today, you just got thrown a softball. Um, it, it's batter up. Um, th th this is just an easy conversation. Um, and I didn't bite on it. I didn't say anything. I, I just sat there. Um, and the conversation went another direction. And I was thankful that the conversation went another direction. And I came out of that setting, and, and I felt ashamed. I felt embarrassment. I, I, I said, there's no boldness there. 
There's no direction of the gospel. This is a clear setting to proclaim the gospel. And I, I dare say that, that many of you, you, you get placed in situations and we, we fear things. We fear awkwardness, don't we? But the gospel is, is, it can bring an awkwardness, can it? If we're honest, if we look at things through eyes of unbelief sometimes, it, it makes situations awkward. Sometimes the gospel is, is, is sometimes it's, it, it, we, we, we fear coming off uneducated, don't we? The gospel, the foolishness of the gospel. I was talking to a person recently, and, and they were a Naval Academy grad, very educated, had all of the different things, and we were talking about life. And I was beginning to communicate the gospel to him, and I was looking at his body language. Um, and I could tell in his body language that he thought I was crazy. As I was proclaiming the gospel, you know, there's this garden, and it's this magical garden, and there's this tree in the midst of it, and there's magical fruit, and there's talking animals, and this is the answer of life. Really, chaps? Really? That's the answer of life. And then there's this individual who died a criminal's death. And that right there gives you the answer to everything that humanity has ever struggled with. That's, that's, that's challenging, isn't it? Really? No, no, the secular world. You, you must read some of their works. There's much better things out there, chaps, than magical gardens and talking animals. It's better than that. Don't we fear that? Don't we fear the world looking at us as though we're unschooled, we're uneducated, to shame us. You know, we fear, I think, often saying it wrong. I believe that. I believe that there's any danger of the reform movement is that we put such an emphasis on doctrinal clarity and wanting to say things exactly right that we just don't say anything at all. Um, I've seen the reform movement kill evangelism in people's hearts. Um, kill it. I, know, I love theology. Um, I think we should say it right. But we should say it. We should proclaim it. Wherever God has placed it. I think we often, we fear living in our own imperfections. Living in our own past. Especially when we proclaim the gospel to loved ones who know us. Um, they know our skeletons. They know what we were in high school. They know what we were in college. Sometimes I think that was Paul's thorn in the flesh myself his imperfections of his past. Who would have had Paul to their church if he was killing Christians? Who would have listened to him? They knew all of his past. They knew all of his situation. The hypocrisy there. The apostles, they were bold in the faith. As we think about what grants us boldness, how does the gospel shape us? How does the boss gospel conquer this fear in our life? And, and how does God, by the work of His Spirit, give us Pentecostal boldness? This, this boldness to speak God's Word into man's life. All boldness to proclaim the gospel is based on the doctrine of justification. All boldness to speak the gospel into man's life is based on the doctrine of justification. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, church, saints, people of God, there is an idea that we must continuously come back to. And that is that we have favor with God based on the active and the passive obedience of Jesus Christ. And that God the Father approves of us and He has declared us righteous based on the righteousness of Christ. Now you say to myself, you say to me, sir, Joe, chaps, whatever you call me, you say to me, how does that give me boldness before man? If you seek justification, approval before man, you will never have gospel boldness. But if you understand that the God of this universe is happy with you, that He delights in you, that He approves of you, and that He could never stop loving you, and that that approval, that boldness, that acceptance is the foundation in which you view all other relationships. We do not seek the approval of man. We know that man's approval is like the wind. It goes and it comes. But God the Father, He loves us and He accepts us and it fuels us, it motivates us, it energizes us, it pushes us to proclaim the gospel with clarity. In church, as we end this Lord's Day today and as we, we go about our business, I, we ask that God, by the work of His Holy Spirit, would give us the ability to not only to live the gospel where God has placed us, but to speak the gospel where God has placed us, to not discredit the gospel where God has placed us for the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. Dear Father, we come to You and we acknowledge that we fall in many ways and in many spots and in many avenues, Father. But we ask that by Your Spirit that You would continually to motivate us and encourage us and draw us closer to Your Son. And that, Father, we would live the Gospel and we would proclaim it until we see You. And we ask these things in Your Son's name. Amen.